0: Welcome along to Crunching Gears, Season 1, Episode 7, Part 3. My final conversation with Andrew Nesbitt, and in this episode we look at Andrew's career from 2003 until 2007, we look at going to Sweden to do the WRC, uh, the famous victory in Donegal in 2006 in the Mitsubishi WRC, and much more besides.
1: Um, I think, you know, I've been out watching stages yesterday and again this morning and you know, Andrew has got the very best technology, there's no doubt
0: about that. Fair play to the guy, he's also making the very best use of it. He's driving the car in the middle of the road and and there's just no way these guys are going to stay in touch with him.
2: Well, the rally's only half over, as you know, and uh, for me it's very hard to keep the concentration. Uh, I think the only thing is to continue maximum attack. So we're not uh, going to see a half-effort, we're going to see a full-effort? Yeah, absolutely. Airplane,
1: tires. Money airplane, right, 24 right, sharp, 24 right 24, Titans over Crested, Fence. Right side, sharp, left 24, Titans, and wins, right 24, Titans. Sharp, left 24, Titans, it wins, right 24, Titans, enter. Remember, a stop happens, right 26, left 26, Titans remember down here, remember, happens, right twenty six, left 26,
2: right, to the left. Amazing evening, I think, for both James and I. There's some of those jumps out there. We're actually taking them sideways, left foot break, and doing all the stuff that we were doing at the rally school, and it was a great feeling to be here. Now, Andrew mentioned the fact that you did the rally school in Norway with all the snow and all the snow came today. What was the feeling like sitting beside him on those last six stages with the snow on the ground? Well, norm, normally we're trying to keep the car in a straight line, but uh, looking out the side windows for, was a big, big change for me. Was today the day that you really enjoyed the whole three? Absolutely, because as the days went on, there was more snow and the grip was better for us and we were more sideways, and that's what we wanted to do, and it was a fantastic feeling.
0: Andrew, you're welcome along once again.
2: Thank you very much, Kevin. It's great to be speaking to you one more time I'm down in Donegal here at Port de Blas. Mm-hmm. Just up from the beach a little bit, yeah. and the sun's shining, so it couldn't, you couldn't be in a better place today. Well,
0: that sounds perfect to me. Uh, the, the last time we finished up at the end of 2002, so we're going into 2003. Is it fair to say you took a wee bit of a step back from rallying then in 2003? Um, you only competed in, what was it, about four events?
2: Yeah, at that time, you know, the, for, after the, the two international wins, the cha- sorry, the championship wins, uh-huh. It got to a point that I only decided to do selected events because my sponsors only wanted to do the events that they wanted to do. and uh-huh. uh, It wasn't about winning championships. It was always about winning, a, winning the rally outright.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And for me, that's what I focused on then, and obviously business as well. But in all of those years, we, we still competed across the British Isles. We went to Scotland, and as you know, we, we did the Jim Clark three years in a row. We yeah. also Mm-hmm. Came to Donegal, and a few other events around the island, mm-hmm. and uh, but yes, it was a very selective program at that stage.
0: Yeah, and like you, you had great years in the Jim Clark Rally. You won it three years in a row. Is it like is it fair to say that their roads would be of different characteristics from Irish roads as well?
2: Their roads are unbelievably fast but increasingly dangerous when the rain came in. Whatever was about the, the quality of the mud that came onto the roads, from from the side of the roads, when it rained, it became a skating ring. Mm-hmm. And you can see from footage over the years, many driver got caught out trying to leave his brake in where he would normally leave it late, coming into a corner or coming down to a junction, and it would go straight off the road. And as you can see from the footage that's out there from, from RPM, that there there's, uh, there was a lot of damage done in, uh, over those three-year periods. However, it was great to go and race the British champions because that's who we want to, mm-hmm. to beat at the time. Yeah. And I, I remember uh, back in the day you know, saying, right, we'll take them on now because we, we felt we were ready for them, and we mm-hmm. did. And then I went back to defend my title after the first win in mm-hmm. 2002. We went back in 2003 defended the title again, and lo and behold, we won it. Mm -hmm. So it was a very lucky event for James O'Brien and I, particularly down through the stages. There was a water break through a river. And, you know, those stages, you had to be very careful. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said earlier, especially when it rained. But the one big part of the Jim Clark rally that stands out for me is there was a jump uh, that you, you had to take it, well, for us, we were taking it high speed, and we called it the ski jump. Mm-hmm. And if you could get your car lined up properly on it, um, there was a tree in the distance, maybe one and a half miles away, beyond the jump. But you, it was the only marker I had coming up to, to the, to, to the crest of the hill, and we had it lined up perfectly. And I remember the first time we took off on that ski jump. I think we went for 150 to 160 feet before we landed. <laughs> uh-huh. So it was, like, it was really like an aircraft coming in to land. And the whole car, you could feel the vibration through the, the steering uh-huh. and the wings, the whole car was getting the air underneath it mm-hmm. and it would land really smoothly. But by the way, we were taken off at 130 mile an hour. <laughs> and,
1: and I, I remember
2: uh, my boys and Linda and a few spectators been away down the hill where they thought was a really safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And we went straight over the top of their head. <laughs> and, you know, it was only afterwards when we'd seen the photographs that we were so high. We mm-hmm. must have been 15, 16 foot in the air. And we perfected that, and we continued to perfect it. And every year we went, everyone went to see the ski jump.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, you know, you couldn't get any higher mm-hmm. or faster because we were li- we were practically on the limiter mm-hmm. coming to it. From the junction that was maybe a half a mile back but it was straight in straight to it uh-huh. and the jump was taken in at approximately 130 miles an hour every time
1: uh-huh.
2: and uh, so it was precision engineering because if you were if you were six inches out with your line you're off that road and you'd roll for a mile and a half it was one of <laughs> the yes. uh-huh. features of the, the that scottish rally it was fantastic uh-huh. but coming back to the roads as i said earlier you know, there there's many as a car, many as a world champion took on that race mm-hmm. and finished up hitting walls or hitting the scenery at a serious rate of knots yeah. and we, we were very fortunate that we got through it but mm-hmm. we learnt our lesson very early I remember Chris Patterson was sitting with someone and he says, Andrew, we're just after doing the recce through that stage and he says, I'm telling you now, do not drive any faster than 30 mile an hour you will not get stopped Right, <laughs> And I'm going, okay, well, that was my first time there, and I, I went down to this junction, and could I get stopped? It was impossible. Fortunately, it was an open t junction, and I shot straight through it,
0: mm-hmm. only at
2: 30 miles an hour. Yes. But it, it, it taught us manners. Uh-huh. It taught us to watch the conditions of the Jim Clark rally, mm-hmm. and anyone that ever thought could take it on at speed in those conditions were always going to finish up off the road mm-hmm. and doing damage. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, then, like, uh, at home then, you know, like this is a cutback in your times, but you went on to claim another Donegal 1 Donegal then in 03, and uh, you know, that was in the H. Richard Burns uh, World Championship winning car as well, that was a nice thing to have as well. Your...
2: That, that was a great car, and mm. you know, thanks to Kenny McKinstry and the K- McKinstry Motorsport team, they, they, they produced a great car for me that year. It was very fast, it was the latest at the time, and you know, every time we came to Donegal over the years, we always came with something a little bit faster than the previous time. Mm -hmm. And that ex-Richard Bourne's car was just unbelievable. And for Donegal, someone was asking me the other day here, what's the difference in the R5 cars in Donegal and the World Rally cars, Andrew? And I'm going, well, guys, it's very simple for me. The, The faster the stages, and the more open they are and the bumpier they are you need a long wheelbase car mm-hmm. and the subaru and the mitsubishi give you that and the fords um but the r5s now are smaller now they're they're more nimble around the likes of atlantic drive mm-hmm. and would we'll probably win atlantic drive every time but on the open fast stages of Nokala and high glen and low glen combined it, they're a very hard car to beat mm-hmm. yeah. the world rally car. And, yeah, it was a real pleasure to drive that over, the, over those stages.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose we can't really go on and beyond. You know, we'll have to look back in Donegal uh, 2004. Um, like you were on a ding-dong battle with Eugene through the Friday and the Saturday. And then on Saturday afternoon, the rain came in and you got the foot down. And um, was it not well that you took 23 seconds or something? You're 23 seconds behind Eugene. I know you've into Saturday afternoon and you come out 35 seconds ahead. Like, that, yes. was, that was some performance. Was that, well, that,
2: was that 100% driving? That, w- that was on the limit. <laughs> that was definitely on the limit. And Well, as I said to you in the previous episodes, I always try to stay below the 100%. <laughs> but certainly when you're fit to catch the likes of Eugene Donnelly on the stage, and you said 23 seconds, I think, the true time had been told. It was closer to 27, 28 seconds. Right. Mm-hmm. Why do I say that? The, time, the timekeeper didn't see my car behind you, coming into the time control. Uh, you know, he just seen one car and then realised
0: there's another well, one. There's there. another <laughs> car.
2: Um, but, you know, the true time that James had in his watch at that time, we were literally only two to three seconds off his bumper. But mm-hmm. it, it was a nice. Um, Mm-hmm. It was nice to do <laughs>
0: Yes. <laughs> and we all know what happened on the Sunday. There's no point really in a that. It was just one of them unfortunate things, wasn't
2: it? So, Well, look, I wouldn't worry too much about the Sunday. What actually happened yeah. was I, 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 I spun the car at 15 mile an hour on the slicks. Uh, we have been sitting at the start line for some time. I spun the car and I tried to reverse down the stage and couldn't manage it. So tried the handbrake turn. I'm get stuck, uh, basically on a, a little rut in on the side of the road with with, with the sump guard. Mm-hmm. The rest is history. Yeah. We actually had time. We had time to let Eugene pass. and Derek. Um, you know, if mm-hmm. we could have, if we could have let them past, yeah. we we could still have won that rally. Anyway, that's history and that's rallying. And yeah. you know, someone has to win. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, that day, Andrew Nesbitt and, and the Cuisine de France team didn't win.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, there's no uh, Just looking at your results here, a bit of a strange one there, you went away to Sweden uh, to do a, the, the World Championship event, what was the, the thinking behind that?
2: Well, the thinking behind that was very simple. I had decided that I was going to probably retire within the next 12 months from rallying and I felt that if we could get our sponsors together, that had supported us over the years Philip White Tires, Cuisine de France Subaru Ireland Pirelli, all of these guys that we would take all our team Mm -hmm. to Sweden but uh, you know there's a few funny stories around Sweden, what actually happened was we got the sponsorship gathered up, we met with the Cuisine de France directors in Dublin, they said yes Andrew it's a great idea and we will support you but more importantly it was to thank all my teammates for everything they had done for me over the years to take them away to a world rally what better one to take the way to than, than a swedish snow rally mm-hmm. we would never seen the snow before in a rally car but so we come up with a very good plan that we would head to norway first actually mm-hmm. and we go to the john hockland uh, rally school which was way up in the mountains and my goodness, there was snow everywhere. Like, you weren't short of snow. It was three, four foot of snow everywhere. Mm-hmm. But we went to his ice, he had a big lake, and there was a rally track set out on it every winter. And we went there, and we tested and tested. And that whole testing was, was for the Swedish World Rally.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Purely to get me to understand how to slide the car, how to set the car up, because you, it was completely different to what mm-hmm. you would do in tarmac. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk about the Swedish throws of the rally car. We were doing all of this, and so we we all we got all our teammates gathered up. And right enough, uh, John Kenny from RTE he want, he came along as well. Mm-hmm. We had Niall McGuire. We had so many people, so many rally supporters from Ireland appeared to the stages in Sweden,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and. But it was a thank you from from myself and all the sponsors for for all the support that I had been given over the previous ten years mm-hmm. of international sport. At that point, yes, because there were a fantastic period of, you know, I think we had probably 15 international wins at that point,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, plus the Jim Clark rallies. So it was tallying up nicely for me. But this was the one I was going to go to and give it a lash, as the saying goes, we got gathered up anyway. And I remember flying from Dublin to Norway, to Oslo. And we had to drive um, for, I think, two and a half, three hours up into the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I was in the back of Kenny McKinstry's Jeep, along with the teammates. His lorry had left Ireland uh, two weeks earlier, but had gone up, was traveling up through the mountains in Norway. to, to the hotel we were staying in. Mm-hmm. And I remember Kenny getting the phone call saying, um, oh, there's something wrong. The, what was wrong was I was sort of half sleeping in the back of the Jeep. A, so Sam had rang to say, Kenny, we have lost the rally car. <laughs> right. And I sort of, he says, you've lost what? I overheard this. Yeah. I, what happened was the... The temperature was so cold that night that the tow bar broke and cracked the, the weld in the tow bar. The car proceeded to leave the lorry and disappear over a snowbank and the way down into a field. Fortunately hit nothing, but they did, the guys didn't know it It wasn't on the back of the lorry until they got to the hotel when they jumped out to reverse the lorry back into the space. The car was gone. So it took them, I think it took them four or five hours up and down that road to try and find a hole where in the hedge, which was covered in snow anyway, yes, and they eventually found the rally car on its side in the rally shuttle with the trailer that the car Uh was in, yes, sideways. (laughs) And the only damage was done at that time that we could see was there was a half shaft bent Uh and they. A couple of rims had to be changed just with the side impact and that was it so we went and tested the rally car anyway Mm -hmm. and everything was going great until we then decided okay we're going to the swedish world rally rally time you go you do your tests Mm -hmm. and the car was working perfectly and unfortunately we were going to the first after the test we were going to the first stage and I put the boost on, and the next thing didn't they, the turbo pipe blew off mm. the, the exchanger. Uh-huh. And it was the only thing that, you know, you could never have picked it up. No. Because when we were testing, it was perfect. Yeah. When we were rallying on the lake, it was perfect. But... Mm. More rally in Sweden, and no rally car. Uh-huh. We, it went missing. <laughs> it was... <laughs> what could you do? Only laugh at it, but yeah. it wasn't—it wasn't a laughing matter no. at the time. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or a world rally car that was probably worth three hundred thousand pounds at the time mm-hmm. gone missing. Yes. there it was gone. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, once we got the turbo fixed, we had to drive one of the longest stages with this turbo pipe off. And once we got that repaired, we were good to go. And then we we started competing really well as a privateer. Mm-hmm. Um. At that time, it was you know you had all the world rally team, and then you had the privateers coming alongside them and it was fantastic that, you know one of those stages was fifty two kilometers long I'd never seen a stage fifty two kilometers long uh-huh. it was all it was all snow, yes, and left foot breaking and it was a great experience. James and I both loved that was, yeah. And more importantly, it was great for all the people that had supported me over the years that followed us out, Mm -hmm. and it was really a party for them. Yes, (laughs) and believe me, it turned into one. (laughs) I I remember coming up onto the finish ramp, and they were wagging us through. And I said, James, get out of the car. We're going to get onto the bonnet because (laughs) the photographs are going to reveal that we we nearly won this rally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyone that's seen the photographs from Sweden would have thought we won that battle. <laughs> You're celebrating, in Yeah. Fantastic <laughs> yeah.
1: memories.
2: Uh-huh. So um, let's
0: just uh, take a wee quick trip back. Like you were telling us, you know, in the, the first episode about your arm and all. And was your arm fully healed at this stage? And did you ever return to see?
2: Well, that's a very good question, Kevin. I, I. Yes, my, my arm was fully healed at that time. And through the whole program from the accident to that t- point in time, I always had to have a lot of training and, and physio on it. And mm-hmm. I, fortunately, I had Linda was a physio through all those years and uh, I had the right uh, mechanics to get it all sorted out. But yes, I actually went back to see the surgeon after the Swedish World Rally um there there was a book produced and within that book there was many rallies that i had won over the years and i was coming from cold rain one of the days and i had a book in the car and i said you know what i'm going to stop at belly kelly here to see if sean simpson's in Mm -hmm. and he was the guy he was the specialist that worked my injury at the time
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and i walked up in anyway and the, the lady question said yes he's in surgery but he's gonna be out in about five minutes so I sat down anyway and I had this book signed Mm -hmm. and within the book I said um dear Sean without you this book would never would never have been possible Mm -hmm. and what that meant was and I didn't realize it until that day um how bad things were, actually, all those years later. he came come out anyway of his theatre, and he, he was ground up, and he, he was walking along, and he, he, he seen me, and he goes, Andrew, what are you doing here? And i going, I'm here to see you. He says, right. Are you all right? I said, I'm fine, yeah, well, uh, I, want you, I have something for you. Uh-huh. So he says, come, in, come into my office here, and within the office was, the senior nurse that was in charge plus three or four other people one or two doctors and he brought me in and introduced me to everyone he says this is andrew nesbitt the rally driver and uh, this is my injury he says this is the arm i was telling you all about Mm -hmm. and he started showing my injury to them and i said sean here's the book here's a book for you a little present Mm -hmm. and i just thought you you would like to see it because after that uh, time in 96, when I won my first international, I actually won a 4th or
1: mm-hmm.
2: and include the Jim Clark rallies. Now, you can tally them all up, when, yeah. because we still have to get to 2006,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and he opened the book, and he read the little message that I had put inside the book, and he started to cry. Right. And I'm going, Sean, are you okay? Why, why are you crying? And he turned round to the nurse in charge and he it said to her, Do you remember I told you what I was going to do? Uh-huh. She says, I do. And it was only then that I ever knew he would. When he asked me uh, before I went to surgery, Andrew, is there anything you want to ask me? And I said, Yes how quickly will it be before I can race again?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And at that point, his next conversation with me was going to be that he was going to amputate my arm. And he told the story in front of everyone. And it was only then that I realized that he was, his next message to me at that time in '96 was he, he was going to have to amputate my arm. But when I said to him, "When again?" he said, "That's down to you." Uh-huh. And the two of is, off crying. Yes, because I never knew. That's what he had in his head. Right. I the book, and he's seen all the wins that we had achieved. Uh-huh. I said, "Sean was it never possible without you." Uh huh. Not. Yes. And he says, "Well, you've no idea how pleased I am." So much uh, good luck in your Uh, Uh motorsport. That that injury has been talked about in every theatre throughout the world Uh of the seriousness of it, and the most important message out of it all was to give it always give it the last chance.
1: Uh That
2: was it. It uh, Quite told. Winded me.
0: Tell you, yeah, it's definitely, one day at my sales, too, hearing you talk about it there, you know. So, um, like, just, you know, that,
2: that one sentence from you just changed the whole outlook of what he was going to do that day. Absolutely. Uh-huh. It, was, it was milliseconds away from being the wrong decision for me.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Only you had said that you were, when we were you going to race
2: again, that just made such a difference. Yeah. That's it. Uh-huh.
0: And like, you know, whatever obviously he done that day was like life changing for you. And think like, he obviously got the benefit of it as well. You know, it was something that he was able to tell other people about that made such a difference to you. And that experience has maybe helped other people along the way too.
2: Yeah, well, he told me afterwards, it was a compound fracture of the ulnar nerve. And the ulnar nerve was really badly damaged. And he told me that he had given lectures, you know, as far away as New York, Boston, uh-huh. uh, Australia, all over the place mm-hmm. on, on that injury. I went through the whole detail of it. Yes. And it was obviously very important to him mm-hmm. that he was fit to lecture on it around the world.
1: Yes, um, mm-hmm.
2: But I can tell you, it, it, it wounded me when I, when I heard what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So eternally grateful to him, to Sean Simpson and his team back in, Mm-hmm. In, in the hospital, it was just on rail. Yeah, definitely. So, I suppose we should look now at happier oh, sorry, times.
0: Sorry, that was, was out, you know? that was, that was out the garden, yeah. I had to go. All right, sorry, yes. Uh-huh. Um, I suppose now we should look at the happier times then. Um, you t- talked about retirement in 2005, but you were tempted to come back for to Donegal one more time and uh, the chance to drive a Mitsubishi World Rally car. Uh, what was the story behind that one?
2: Oh my goodness, there's some story behind that. Well, i give you the shortened version of it because <laughs> it, it would last an, a whole hour if I, I was to stay at it. The, this guy appeared out of nowhere and, it, and he said to me, Andrew, I'm, I'm setting up a World Rally team and I'm going to call it the Mitsubishi World Rally team because Mitsubishi are now stepping down uh-huh. out, out of World Rally Motorsport. But I, I can get two cars organized for Donegal and mm-hmm. um, I can get you a sponsorship package and uh, Mark Higgins is going to take one car and I would like you to consider taking the second one. And I'm going, oh, this is just unbelievable.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Is this really happening to me? Well, it didn't really happen to me because he disappeared. <laughs> it was a whole Walter Mitty story. Right. Uh-huh. But it. But it took such good legs. Uh-huh. I got to know John. Easton in, in Mitsubishi at the uh-huh. time who was in charge of the team and I said John well look at this guy has disappeared he hasn't come up with any money no sponsorship but I, I, I will organize my end of it uh-huh. if, if um, Mark Higgins and Rory can organize their end so they uh-huh. worked hard to get it but at that time John said there's only going to be one chance here, Andrew. I, there's two rally cars coming to Ireland, or none, right? Even though I wanted uh-huh. to come, so I had to pay the deposit for both cars, right? And they came, uh-huh. and you know, that was me getting back into a rally car. I hadn't been in a car for a long time, yes. Mark, he had been, he's obviously a very talented driver mm-hmm. over the years. And I'd raced each other a few times, but I really wanted to have a go because we were representing, you know, the Irish title and he was representing the British title. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I thought, let's have a go. So we managed to get both cars to Ireland,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and it, it was very unusual because the two cars were identical, but the only thing that wasn't identical was the setup of the car. Okay. That was tailored to your own individual it, needs. Tailored to, it, it was, but the the two cars arrived anyway. But my car arrived first, and for whatever reason, Mark he got to test my car, and test it he did. He was up and down that road as hard as he could go. Um, in one of the stages that had been closed off at the time, in Donegal here, mm-hmm. um, he was to test until twelve o'clock. And at 3 o'clock he was still testing, but it was my car. Uh-huh. And I remember saying to him, I said, you know what, I have to get in, I have to get in and do a bit of testing because we're going to run out of time here. Yes. Um, and he says, no, no, I, he says, you can test my car when it arrives.
0: Uh-huh. That was
2: never going to be any good to me. Uh-huh. So he'd been able to test from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, which was six uh-huh. hours, and no brakes. And I stand on the side of the road watching him. Uh-huh. So I said to James O'Brien, I said, look, we better make a call here to John Easton. John proceeded to tell Mark that I had paid the deposit for both cars and that it was my time to test. So mm-hmm. he stepped down and I stepped into the car, which was the best thing ever because the engineer that was in the car with me mm-hmm. had spent the previous six hours with yes. uh, Mark uh, mm-hmm. it was Mark in and I up and down the road a few times and I, I'll always take my time to get up to 85% mm-hmm. and lo and behold I hit this kick up at the back of Glen Bay uh, Castle and I swear to you I went up about 12 foot in the air in the <laughs> back of it and she bounced and she came down and she bounced and she buck leapt a few times and I said to myself if that's his settings mm-hmm. They're never going to work in Donegal. Right. And the engineer that was with me, I said to him, you've got to promise me, I'm going to set this car up to my settings, mm-hmm. but no one gets them. Yeah. And that was what happened. So I eventually tested that car for probably three hours, maybe four at the most. Uh-huh. And uh, that was it. I'd never seen the car before. Mm-hmm. And we got the car really well set up. But my goodness, what a wonderful car. Especially the team that was there. Mm -hmm. uh, From Rally Art, they were so professional. Like I remember them coming, these lorries, but each man, there was three computers in every car, each car.
0: There
2: was a a computer for the engine. Mm -hmm. There was a computer for the gearbox. And back diff and a computer for the suspension setup. Right. And they had never seen. They had been trying to get that suspension working for a long time, mm-hmm. and we, we managed to get it set up. And they seen this. I remember Karen Arkin saying that the engineer had said to him, "He had never seen suspension work so hard ever in right. any rally." Uh-huh. And that's what's different about the roads in Ireland, particularly Donegal, uh-huh. they are so testing and so demanding.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we tested, and uh, at the end of it I was so happy with the car, and I got it up to about 95% of my, what I felt should be at, uh-huh. and the next day Mark and I proceeded to take it into each other. <laughs> <laughs> We will tell you that we we we, we were setting times that hadn't been seen ever in Donegal. No, both mm-hmm. of us. Yes, but I remember saying to James O'Brien, "There's there's a couple of kicks in at the back of Kershlock here, and if he st- hasn't got his settings set to the ones I have in the car, he's most likely to get kicked off the road." Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, in fairness to him, he only lost, I think, thirty-five, forty seconds at the time. Right. Yes. But that gave us a lead of 35, 40 seconds. Uh And we had to maintain that for the rest of the Donegal International Rally. And I can tell you, Mark and Rory, they put it to me, it was hard going. Uh The harder they went, the harder I had to go to keep them behind. Mm -hmm. So that was a rally then I had to lead from the front at that point. Yes, But the car was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And to have the opportunity of a World Rally car with a World Rally team, It was something that I could only ever have dreamt of. Yeah, and and your favourite rally as well too. And my favourite rally on stages that I had competed on, Mm -hmm. you know, for so many different years at Mm -hmm. at different speeds with different cars, as you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, look at that was the icing on the cake. James O'Brien and I were speaking about it recently, and I said, James, which was the best rally that you ever competed in? He says, Well, it has to be in the Mitsubishi in Donegal, yes. you know, we always loved all mm-hmm. of the rallies but that one was so special to us, mm-hmm. um, I have to say to you James had his work cut out with, for him that day,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: unfortunately the RPM, the in-car speaker wasn't working okay. yes. satisfactory because there would have been a lot of good footage there for, for, for the history books.
0: Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, the decibel levels would be through the roof
2: with James. <laughs> they were definitely at the higher oct- end of octave. Yeah, they were good. Uh,
0: I suppose we should take a minute or two now to speak about James, like how influ- influential he was on your career.
2: Well, going way back to after '96, mm-hmm. you know '97, when I when I got going again after the injury, mm-hmm. you know, and lo and behold, uh, many years later, I was being told that I was. Sean was going to have to uh, amputate my arm. Mm-hmm. There, there, was, there was a whole learning process, a healing process, and an adjustment program of how you would drive, mm-hmm. how you would compete. And if you want to win, you have to be so professional at it. And, uh, you know, it was Brian Murphy that actually said, Andrew, there's only one man I can think of that could sit with you at that pace um, is, is James O'Brien, but why don't you ring him up and, and ask him? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so I contacted James at the end of 96 coming into 2000 sorry 97 Mm -hmm. and he agreed he would sit on with me but as you know from previous conversations I had to go at his pace Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I did but I can easily say to you that I would never have won any of those internationals without James he was so understanding, he, the notes that I had were obviously different to most people's. Mm-hmm. But he understood what I was trying to do. And he understood the feeling I had for the cars that I was driving. Yeah. And was always very sensitive around all of that. Look, at James has sat with more rally drivers than anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His, his record, so the knowledge he had at that point in time was huge. And it was all about getting me to to drive at a pace that wasn't over the top. Mm-hmm. And if we if we could always if we could get it back to ninety five ninety eight percent, most of the time we were leading the rallies. Mm-hmm. And all we had to do was finish them. And, and um, well, history tells you we we won quite a few as a result of that. And that's largely down to James mm-hmm. and through the support of his family. They, they, Fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. I, and you mentioned family there. Like family, obviously, is a very important part. You know, for yourself and James. Like you know, your two boys and your wife. You talked about them as well. They were. They went to a lot of the events with you as well. And Graham and Matthew were. Uh, did they ever
2: get into the, the sport? Oh, well, they did actually. Um, mm-hmm. So way back in when when when, the, when Graham was fourteen, he decided he wanted to do the Ford Rally Challenge. Mm-hmm. And Matthew's coming behind three years later, and he got into rallycross. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, they, they both had it. They all had the need for speed as well uh, yes. in the Nets- household. And uh, so back in two thousand four, two thousand six, Graham he did the Pirelli Trophy Rally,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and who did I get to sit alongside? So only James O'Brien. <laughs> Yes. And uh, unfortunately, they were doing, they were going really well. Unfortunately, they had a little bit of a mishap
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in Kielder Forest, um, and they finished up on the roof. But yeah. these things happen. And then Matthew, he took up the the rally in in the British and Irish Rallycross mm-hmm. back in two thousand five and two thousand seven. Yeah. So both Matthew and Graham, they'd done Rallycross meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then Graham went into the bigger league when he when he took on the Pirelli Trophy Rally. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they were both very good drivers. Unfortunately, um, Graham he finished up with that accident with James and was roof. Mm-hmm. And then the time I went to Cork, the last time I, I drove the Mitsubishi Rally car actually oh, yeah. uh-huh. was down in Cork. Matthew was competing in Mond- Mondello at the same time in the Irish Rally. Championship mm-hmm. and I crashed in Cork, and he crashed in Mandela. He finished up in hospital in Dublin, and I finished up in hospital in Cork. <laughs> so, we, we we always agreed after that that we would never, uh, we would only ever be one of us rallying at the one time because you cannot be in two places at no. the one time, <laughs> especially if you're competing yeah. in motorsports. You never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But yes, but, Mm-hmm.
2: Both Graham and Matthew are very talented, uh, but then, as you know, they had to get university and university results, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: that was more important than driving at the time. And yes. they, they did that, but they're, they're now voicing uh, both Graham and Matthew that they want to get back into the sport. So mm-hmm. let's see how we get out over this pandemic yes. in the next 12 what's, months. Right, Watch this
0: space then? um So, Lacey. Uh two thousand and seven, uh come to Donegal for testing for Rally Ireland. Was it like was that nice to see this you know World Rally Championship team coming to your favourite event to compete and did it make you want to go back again one last time to Donegal?
2: Absolutely, and, and, and the, the thing was um I was saying to young Lob at the time you know your suspension's not right in that car, and you're going what's wrong with it? Uh, mm-hmm. you know i said well you're you're not setting the f- the times you should be because your 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 whole suspension setup's wrong mm-hmm. and I said to him, if he was to change the springs from the his usual tarmac spring to a forest spring, he would most likely start leading the rally, and he did, and not only did he lead the rally, he won the rally mm-hmm. and that was purely through lack of knowledge on his part, never having tested in Ireland before.
1: Yes.
2: So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was great to see the World Rally cars coming to Ireland. It was great to see the World Rally teams. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm hoping it's going to happen again. I know Bobby Willis is working very hard at this point in time to bring the World Rally back in, onto the Isle of Ireland. Yeah, brilliant. Fingers crossed that that would come together. Uh, 2007, I also
0: saw you uh, taking a wee bit of a change of direction. You went crossing. And you've done competing rounds of the European Rallycross and a poor Eklund Saab.
2: That must have been some exhilaration. Well, you you know, it was George Tracy that got me into that. Mm -hmm. Um, He had been doing a lot of Rallycross meetings with Ollie O'Donovan and a few guys. And at that time, he says, Andrew, you should get one of these cars. I said, Well, I, I don't. I don't have access to a car at the moment. He says, well, we can get one rented for you. And it was, um, the Saab came, as you quite rightly say.
1: Uh-huh.
2: It came to Ireland, first of all, and then we went to England and on into Europe. And to sit on the start line of, with, you know, 700 brake horsepower under the bonnet mm-hmm. is, and maybe 7 or 10 cars around you. It's some some drill, I can tell you, your <laughs> heart is beating yes. at a rate of not, you'd never feel uh-huh. uh, in anything else. It was frightening actually. But once you got to know how it worked, Rallycross is so different, everyone wants to put you off the road. Right. And they, they had, you know. When you look at the, those World Rounds right now, it's who can get to the front first, and if you don't get to the front first, you're likely to cause damage anywhere mm-hmm. from second back. Right. And and uh, There's only p- one place to be in rally cross meetings, and that's the head of the field.
0: Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> uh, so you talked then about uh, Logan oil and limping over Rally Ireland in 2007, you were taking part in it and then for 2009, another change of uh, career again, a TV pundit for RTE. Um, uh, Graham uh, recently messaged me all the he had sent you a kind of cheat sheet, as <laughs> I suppose it could be described as um that's not become the Bible for all the guys in the RTE that must have been some coup for Graham to be involved in the likes of that as well and did you enjoy the experience
2: I, I did enjoy the experience because normally it was John Kenny or some of these guys that were good in uh-huh. the interview But on this particular occasion uh, they had contacted me to see if I would take on the role mm-hmm. and but and they didn't really have the detail uh, on offer that they needed to have to to commentate, because it was going worldwide.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, not only was it RTE doing the commentating and, and recording of the events, but all of that information was go, going worldwide. So Graham, he got to do a lot of work in the background and, and created what we call the motorsport Bible of uh-huh. what we had to, how we were to guide our way through the, the whole interviewing Process yes.
1: uh-huh.
2: with uh, Michael Lester at the time. It was fantastic,
0: uh-huh.
2: and a great experience for Graham as well. Yes, uh-huh.
0: that was fantastic, wasn't it? And um, you know, you were going out there live every every night, then yourself and Eugene, and um, discussing all that happened throughout the day. It was, too, it was nice to do something so completely different. Um,
2: well, that was completely different. But yeah. you know, uh, mm-hmm. when I was there commentating, uh, I'd preferred to be driving, to be honest with you. Yes. <laughs>
0: Uh, You've mentioned Eugene Donnelly there a couple of times, like Eugene, Austin McHale, Gareth McHale, Derek McHale, uh, the list goes on, like uh, from sort of 2003 up to 2007, there was some fabulous competition there in the stages,
2: that that, that, that was a
0: real golden era of Irish alien at that time, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, Plum Tindall called with me the other day here, and we were just saying that from 1996 to 2006, there was a 10-year window of motorsport in Ireland that had never been seen before uh-huh. and has never been seen since. Yes. It, it just was brought to another level and I think at one time we had 42 World Rally cars in Ireland.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was just outstanding. We had more World Rally cars in Ireland than any other country in the whole world. And we had the drivers to drive them. Mm-hmm. We had a fantastic list of drivers competing. And for, for ourselves, particularly, to take on other World Rally drivers who came to Ireland. It was, it was a great opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. And um, I do hope that we, we get to see a World Rally round again back in Ireland, yeah, hopefully very soon. You know,
0: like it would be fabulous to, to see them up the legs around Torhead or Hamilton's Folly or something like that. It would just be mind-blowing, isn't it? Especially these current cars now. It would just be an, an unbelievable experience.
2: It would be an unbelievable experience, but it'd be, it would be an amazing experience for the country because yes. it would bring millions and millions of pounds to the economy, mm-hmm. which is going to be needed in the next 12 months. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. See mm-hmm. us, it would really help us through this pandemic, mm-hmm. and hopefully that will happen. Um, you had some very loyal
0: sponsors along the way. Um, uh, Cuisine de France, Philip White Tyres, Cross Refrigeration and you know, all. Like, You know, obviously them guys played a very important
2: role in your rallying career. Well, you've mentioned most of them there, but, you know, without my own colleagues in cross-refrigeration at the time, uh, they gave me 100% support. Jim Keating, he was the managing director at the time, and Dermot Walsh, who was the sales director. Those two guys gave me 150% support to compete at the highest level. And that was the start of my rallying career, really being able to afford, uh, one, the time out through the business, and two, financial support to make it all happen. And then on the back of that, I had Cuisine de France come in for seven years, Mm -hmm. uh, which was fantastic out of those, what we call the golden 10 years,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. between 96 and 2006. And Philip White Tires, Philip had sponsored me on every rally I ever competed on since I was 18 years old mm-hmm. and I was only speaking to him last week and we were just reminding each other about the number of years that he had been supporting me in, in rally cars and I think it was 30 odd years mm-hmm. it's a long time but you, yeah. know, you mentioned there, uh, I, I had great support from Subaru Ireland yeah. and
1: Pirelli as well
2: too all of those guys, Pirelli, Super mm-hmm. Ireland, mm-hmm. and along the way there were other people like Tony Kelly in mm-hmm. and, and Eddie Kenny, he sponsored me, and Voodoo sponsored me.
0: Yeah.
2: I also had the likes of ADL Tiles and oh, uh, RMF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Over the years, the, the list was endless. Mm-hmm. And, I, and uh, I thanked them all dearly for what they did for me. It, it yeah. kept the kept the wheels Turning. Yes, <laughs> and we all know how
0: cruel a sport uh, rallying can be. Like, you developed a great friendship with Manus Kelly before his unfortunate accident in Donegal 2019. Like, I think you've seen a lot of yourself in Manus, the kind of the family man, the love of Donegal, you know, the, the kind of go-hard or go-home attitude. Wasn't there a lot of that there?
2: Well, I think it was different for Manus in that he was so talented. Mm-hmm. He won the Donegal International Rally three years in a row. And he was very calm and collected about what he was doing, and from my point of view, unbelievable, an unbelievable driver, and as you should quite rightly say, a great family man, Mm -hmm. um, he had great support from everyone in Donegal, Mm -hmm. and... Yeah. You know, it was very sad. Uh, it was very sad for motorsport in Ireland what what happened. Yeah,
0: and um, like you were very good with his family then. Uh, the, the tail end of last year, uh, you got a chance to get behind the wheel of a rally car again for déjà vu don't you go but it was also turned into a day of uh, celebrating manus and like you helped out his family tremendously that day. I would say they were will be forever help or forever grateful for that sport that day too.
2: Well, look at that. Would never that could never have taken place without the help of Enda Garvey, mm-hmm. who happened to have the the S twelve B World Rally car, and he says, Andrew, if you're going to do it, you have to do it right. And we deckled the car all up mm-hmm. to to look at as as if it was one of my older cars, and um, that was a day of, of celebration of motorsport in Ireland, but mm-hmm. also to celebrate Manus. Yeah. Manus' wins and his success, and at the same time, look, he was going for council here in Donegal, and mm-hmm. uh, you know he, he was going to the top, and unfortunately, one of these things was a, mm-hmm. bad, just a sad accident. Yeah. That's what it was. That's for sure. Uh,
0: how did it feel to be back behind the wheel of a rally car again? It, any yeah,
2: eight I, years,
0: any eight years into your head? <laughs>
2: Well, do you know what? It, it was more the smell of the fuel. <laughs> so, while we were doing the Deja Vu and we were only driving around the roads, so I think the fuel was about a thousand pounds for a hundred miles. Uh, it's was, it was crazy. I didn't. I must say now, when you sit in a full Works World Rally car, mm-hmm. there's something very special about it. Yes. It is so special, the smells of the car. The, the, the engine the power you know what's all there and when we were going up through High Glen and Low Glen mm-hmm. and we stopped at the pub there and then we went round Atlantic Drive and, and did all of those stages purely at, at road speed mm-hmm. but you know I was just thinking would I not love to have the helmet on here <laughs> <flat>? <laughs> you
1: know,
2: it was very tempting <laughs> yes it was extremely tempting to, to get behind a world rally car again. But you know what? I have to be thankful. I have to be thankful for the successes I've had over the years with my different navigators. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, all the national rounds that I won, Brian Murphy guided me through all of those. Then mm-hmm. James O'Brien guided me through most of the international wins. Mm-hmm. And way back at the very start, the late Trevor Henry and, Stephen Bassett, he, he navigated for me in one or two events as well. All of those guys were part of my history and, and all, all of the, the success I had. Mm-hmm. So I have to thank them all for that. Yeah. Like but you know, there's, there's other people I must thank yes. here. And that is my family. of course, uh, yeah. And Linda and Matthew and Graham and my sister, my brother Caroline and Alan. My late mum and dad, Bella and Albert, all of those people supported me for 30 years at this sport. And I had to, you know, th- then all, all my staff back in Cross Refrigeration, I have to thank them as well. Particularly Jacqueline McKittrick, who did all the, the paperwork mm-hmm. and the precision of all of that. Yes. Uh, and all of the management team that looked after me, no one believes this, but we had 25 people on a rally team. Right. Uh, when we were at at the top of our game. Uh And that's a lot of people looking after one person. Yes. Between Mm -hmm. weather notes, tires, you know, uh, Neville Matthews, he's down in Australia, Mm -hmm. Stephen Dole. All of these guys were were a great influence and a great help to me over Uh the years. So I have to say a big thank you to everyone. There are so many. I can't thank them all. Uh I know I'd miss them. Uh, I'm going to leave some people out. Mm -hmm particularly my family, yes. and my business, and mm-hmm. all my colleagues for supporting me over the years. And yes. once again, a big thank you to every one of them. Yes, no problem at
0: all. And I suppose before we go, it would be very remiss of us not to remember the late uh, Brian Patterson and Elsa Crawford, who unfortunately both died recently. Like, they would have been a very big part of your rallying too, as well. Like Brian was always there with his notepad, and Elster with his camera.
2: Yeah, Brian was there at the end of every stage, it was great, the information that they, him and Liz put together, uh, that, that came out at the end of every stage was, was always very useful to the, not only to the navigators but to the team. They they understood where you were and where what you were doing and where you were at. And there was, it it was, uh, you know, very sad when I heard Brian had passed away, and and lo and behold now, Esler Crawford who took the photographs uh-huh. behind the camera, and his photography was just amazing mm-hmm. and you know when you appeared in the likes of motoring news in england and the irish times and the belfast telegraph with sammy hamill and all of those people uh, you know esler was a fantastic man also so unfortunately mm-hmm. uh, he passed away as well mm-hmm. now as we start to
0: wrap things up andrew many a person has asked about how you and james you know the, the system and know she's used how did you come about that uh, system and what exactly did it mean? And the, James, the decibel levels was something to behold.
2: Well, the decibels was easy because I'm partially deaf uh, from the explosion that I was involved in way back in the 1977. But yeah, the, they were very unusual notes, but they all started back in the day. We were listening listening to Pentia Ricola's notes with Ronan McNamee, who was my sponsor through Cuisine de France, as you know. But... They had very unusual notes as well, but their numbers weren't as high as mine. But if you study them, they all had characteristics similar to that. And what they were doing at the time was they were taking angles. If you have a 360 degree angle from zero to 360, it's uh, 36. If you drop the zero on my notes Mm -hmm. and study the angle then, So one is absolutely straight as a die, and then every number thereafter. And once you get to Mm 18, the road starts to come back on you. Right, it's starting to come back now. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily visually coming back on you, but the the road if the car sideways at maybe I don't know 120 mile an hour. Sometimes you can go sideways, and that angle is the angle of that note at high speed. Mm -hmm. So. By the way, it's the first time I've shared this with anyone. (laughs) But back in the day, we originated that with Brian Murphy and I creating a system similar to that, that didn't go as high as as James and I brought it. But when he talked about 26, which is really a full-on hairpin, Mm -hmm. um, we, by the way, we never got to 27, but uh, 26 (laughs) was, and James often often said to me, Andrew, could we not change these notes back to... (laughs) <laughs> to notes that sound like everyone else's. And I couldn't do that because I visualized not only the stages, but I visualized the notes
1: right.
2: and the angle of the corner and the number would relate to uh, the, the angle of life out there and, and in degrees, but I dropped the zero. Uh-huh. So if you bring that back to 120 degrees and take the zero off it, you've got a 12. Uh-huh. You very easily realize what we were up to. Ah, yes. And if you do the same with the jumps, mm-hmm. depending on the degree of the jump, in other words, when we would take off and, and go to land, I would then understand the angle that I was likely to land at. Right. So the car could be on its nose, it could be landing on four wheels, but the greater the number, the greater the nose step. In other words, the angle of landing. Mm-hmm. And so that's where those numbers came from. We also added in left side, right side, and middle, or cut half, cut quarter. And cut quarter was simply the tire would have been off the road, the quarter went to the car. Cut uh-huh. half was right to the axle, midpoint. Uh-huh. So all of these notes were were all based on something.
1: Uh-huh.
2: But one of the very unusual notes. James has his back off, yes. uh, and and that was there's something very dangerous coming. And we also had mirage in there. In other words, it, it's not what it seems. Okay. You're coming up to a crest, and you think the road is straight because the tree lines tell you the road is straight. When in mm-hmm. actual fact, it's not. It could be a hairpin bend. Right. And it's a mirage. Back off, mirage. You know, you'd hear him saying that. Uh-huh. So, all of that detail went into the, the notes. They were very detailed, very confusing to everyone else in the rally world.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I hope this helps to explain yes. what, what they all meant. Mm-hmm. And there was one of the notes that we used quite often in the summertime, and it would be back off at the winds. Right. I remember James saying, "What, Andrew, what, what's the wins? In other words, it, it sounds you were gonna win something. Yeah. but it was a wind bush oh yes i <laughs> coming from south Armagh. we had loads of wind bushes in the <laughs> <laughs> anytime i seen a wind bush coming up yeah. to the back corner i'd say back off at the winds <laughs> 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 uh, so that yeah. that's that's how it all all came yeah. about and well hopefully that point. answers some of
0: the questions <laughs> <Pardon>? <laughs> yeah because there's quite a few people have been messaging me since the first
2: podcast to try and get to the bottom of these notes? So. <laughs> well, I've shared some of it, but yes. not all of it.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. Uh, and no doubt, in mystery and in time, all the navigators of the world will want to find out yeah. what they're uh-huh. all about. But uh-huh. if, you, if you sit back and focus it, yeah. focus on it, as some professional navigators have done, they've said, Andrew, when we actually evaluate it, you really only have 12 notes. Right. In uh-huh. Because you don't hear a, when I'm going from twelve to fourteen, there's never a thirteen. Right. Yes. Twelve to sixteen, there's never a fifteen. So there's never any odd numbers in my notes. Right. Other than from one to ten.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yes. And there's never a nine. Hmm. Never an eight actually. <laughs> so the, depend, depending on the the speed of the car, uh, a lot of the numbers were actually dropped in between. Right. Yes. And I never yeah. used them ever.
0: Yeah.
2: It's so confusing when you think about it. You hear me saying one and we go right up to 26 and mm-hmm. a lot of back-offs in between. But if you actually look at it, there's only actually 12 numbers I use.
0: Right, yes. Well, you know, the, the
2: results speak... Add, to, adds to the mystery. Yes. <laughs> the results obviously
0: you know, speak volume for the, the success of the notes. You know, you look back at the, 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 the years you and James spent together, like it's just phenomenal, the, the results.
2: Well, um, look at. All all of those notes started with Brian Murphy Mm -hmm. and then moved on with James uh, O'Brien. And James and I perfected them while there was a lot of noise and a lot of shouting. The shouting and the loud voice was really because I'm partially deaf. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it was just to, to, to inform me that it was a very serious potential accident ahead if I didn't back off. And, you know, depending on the conditions, I would always leave it to the last. Uh, <laughs> you know, if a navigator wants to slow down one second before you say you mm-hmm. decide to slow down, it can be a nervous place to be. <laughs> but at all times, James was under control of the whole situation.
0: Well, Andrew, i just like to personally now thank you very much for taking the time to spend with us in this podcast. It has been uh, mind blown to just relive your career, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to share it
2: with us all here now? Well, you know what? It, it was a complete um, pleasure for me to be able to spend the time with you. Kevin, you've been great putting all of this information together. I know you've put many podcasts together for different international and national drivers and, and their teams. Keep doing it. Keep Keep the good work going because without the likes of the information, we don't get to know what's going on out there. So... I want to thank you and keep at it because you're doing a great job and look forward to seeing you in Donegal here soon.
0: Okay, appreciate that, my man. You take care of yourself and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very
2: much. Thank you and goodbye. Listen to this for
0: commitment from the Donegal Rally 2006. Andrew and James flat out in the Mitsubishi WRC in the rain. Oh, and I'm here Nesbitt or thingy. forget just how fantastic Andrew and James were. Here's a few clips just to help just to recall some memories.
2: Just watch the Armad drivers speed on these daunting jumps. The Subaru is approaching 130 miles an hour and Nesbitt isn't lifting one bit. The cross member is bent on the jump. Caution seems to have been thrown out the window and co-driver James O'Brien realises the car still has to last for two more days. Right B- right. right 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 four. We've we'll just tried to up the pace a little bit, you know. So um, has it worked? So, yeah, so far it took a half a minute back. Confidence is now very high.
1: He's launching a grand attack. midland wide line, right over crest. Left side, right 18. And it's stop. here but
0: left 26 on crest, 26. Stop. There's no stopping Nesbitt in this form as he moves into the lead, taking 18 seconds off Eugene on this 12-mile test, much to the annoyance of co-driver James O'Brien's nerves. Watch it. Come back. Come back. 2 has been Nesbitt's winning year. The professional amateur is now very professional at cracking open the champagne bottles from the dominance of the circuit of ireland at easter to killarney in may (laughs) fending off the best of the british in scotland in june the isle of man in july and landing his first ulster victory in belfast in august the armor man has been guided by james o'brien to the victor's ramp
2: Congratulations. How are you feeling? Absolutely. Over the moon. Fantastic race, fantastic rally and a fantastic championship. James, it must be nice being back out round Mill Street again yesterday. Uh, it's fantastic to, to win at home again. It really was. And, uh, it's been a fairy tale year. Not just it's great to win at home, but for me to go to the Isle of Man and particularly to go to Scotland uh, and for, the chap, for not alone for us to win, but for the Irish competitors with fill six of the top seven places really speaks volumes for Irish rallying. That was Andrew Nesbitt
0: and myself, Kevin Glendinning, talking to it. I've been overwhelmed by the response to the previous two podcasts of my conversation with Andrew. And I'd just like to thank each and every one of you for the downloads, your kind comments, your likes and your shares. So if you could continue to do that, please. And if you're listening to the podcast, can you please rate the podcast? That would be greatly appreciated. Until the next time,
1: take care and speak soon. Bye bye.